Well, good morning. How many of you, like me, think that a Rubik Cube is an instrument of torture? I had one once, and it didn't last very long. Well, it's so good to uh, see you, and lots of new people around at Timberline, so I should introduce myself. I'm Pastor Jeff, and uh, as you can hear, I'm not from around these parts. So greetings from Arkansas, and uh, <laughs> good to see you. I was just, um, I've been around for the last few weeks, uh, midweek, but not on this platform, and just watching us, you, me, together, worshiping just now. And please know, everybody, that you are greatly loved. It's so wonderful just to see, I know some of your stories, and just to see you declaring the goodness of God in the midst of some challenging circumstances. And you are greatly loved and prayed for. It's so good to see you. So we are in a series right now, Living Whole in a Fractured World. We're looking at a letter written by the half-brother, most likely the half-brother of Jesus, James, who didn't become a follower of Jesus until after the resurrection, but then became a very prominent leader in the early church. We're in this series, and this weekend we're thinking about how whole people guard their Words And so I'm going to read some verses from James chapter 1, and then also we're going to look at James chapter 3 as we move through this message. So here's what James says in chapter 1 and verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, pay attention to what I say. Everyone should be quick to listen, but they should be slow to speak. They should be slow to get angry a man's anger doesn't produce the kind of life God wants. Uh, we moved um, to the USA. We went to Oregon in 1995. Everything was new to us, and we went to the home of an English pastor who had all already emigrated here, and uh, he had got himself a gun, a 308 rifle. Now, English people and guns, it's not a good mix because um, they're not as easy to get in the UK. That's not a statement about gun control. Don't send an email in. It's just a statement of fact. And I don't actually own a gun. I did try to buy one once because we have, sometimes we have rattlesnakes show up at our property. And I don't like rattlesnakes and I don't think God does either. So I thought, I'll go and get myself a gun. They said, you can get snake shot, and that'll take care of it. So I went to the gun store, and the gentleman serving at the gun store was a timberliner, and he'd heard some of my stories. And he said, Pastor Jeff, I beg you, don't buy a gun. He said, it won't end well if you buy a gun. So I don't own a gun. I probably shouldn't announce that publicly because someone might show up at our house knowing that I'm not armed. My strategy, if anybody breaks into our house, is to run around unclothed and screaming. That will take care of things, I really believe. But I don't have a gun. And this English guy, he hadn't gone to a gun safety class, and he brings out this 308 rifle. And our kids are quite small back then, Kelly who is now 40, she was five, Richard was two, and we're sitting around the table, and he's talking about this gun, and he thought it wasn't loaded. But it was. Thank God the gun was pointing away from us, but he pulled the trigger, the gun 
the rifle went off and the bullet hit a wood stove and ricocheted across the center of the table. And it was really weird to see what happened in that moment. We all immediately burst into tears because of the shock of the sound and the cordite smoke. And we literally looked around the table to make sure that nobody had been injured. And thank God nobody was. And he's in a bit of a, he's in shock himself and feeling obviously very embarrassed. It's kind of rude, isn't it, to invite people over for breakfast and then almost kill them. I mean, and that's, that's not good manners. And so he ran into the bedroom, and because he's in shock, he, he ejected the one cartridge and pushed another one up the spout and shot a hole in the rug. Some of you are looking at me going, you need to get new friends. And his, his wife, the pastor's wife, she used some language not normally known among pastor's wife and invited him to step out of the house immediately. That's my translation. <laughs> I'm laughing as I remember what actually she did say. And I'm looking at you now and you're thinking, I wonder what she said. It's not important right now. And he ran out of the house and I learned a lesson that day and it's quite simply this. Always assume it's loaded. As we turn to the book of James, James is talking about the tongue and its potential as a dangerous weapon. And here's what he's saying to us. He's saying, always assume that it's loaded. And we can, we'll see that it can be like a, a poisonous dart or the venomous bite of a snake or a spark that starts a wildfire. And then there are other analogies in Scripture as well. The tongue can be a sharpened razor, it says in Psalm 52, or a sword in Psalm 64. So as we look at James's words, and by the way, I want you to notice the amount of imagery that James uses in his writing. He uses more imagery in these five chapters than the Apostle Paul does in all of his writing. James is wanting us to know, with powerful word pictures that we're going to look at, he wants us to know that whole people guard their words. So, so let's dive in. Here's the first thing. The context of all of this, what's going on? What's going on? There's a lot of anger and shouting happening in the congregation or congregations that James is writing to. Here are some of the words that he uses in his letter. Anger, fights, quarrels, slander. As I step back and just reflect on what's going on in our culture at the moment, particularly during the pandemic, it feels like we've become shouty and angry and aggressive and rude. In fact, has anybody else noticed that people are driving a bit more aggressively these days? I mean, just on my way here this morning, someone honked their horn and shook their fist at me, and, and I'm like, what was that? What did I do? I, okay, I was on the wrong side of the road, but just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. But quite seriously, it, it, it feels like we're in a moment in our culture, particularly with all the pandemic stuff, we all know how it should be done. We've all got an opinion. 
And there's not too much listening. There's a whole lot of shouting. I'm on Facebook because I like to see photographs of other people's breakfasts. And when I go on Facebook, I'm noticing someone puts a comment up and immediately 50 people pile it. And we've lost the art of debate and we've got into soundbite-fed yelling. And Christians can be the worst because we think our opinion's God's opinion. Listen again to what James says. My dear brothers and sisters, pay attention to what I say. Everyone should be quick to listen. They should be slow to speak. They should be slow to get angry. We've had that verse printed on these cards. And there are cards at guest services We would love it if everyone would take one of these cards and look at it every day, not just this week, until the thing wears out, and and maybe memorize it, and let's get a reminder. I mean, they're only $29.99 each, these cards. (laughs) And just kidding, some of you went... (laughs) They're free, and uh, they're at guest services. I think we'll, we'll see if we can get some put at the front here as well at some point, but not while I'm preaching. That would be helpful. And um, we've got these for you to take away because if we would just slow down and think and engage brain before we engage mouth. I mean, I wish wish I'd learned that earlier in life. I wish I hadn't said to those two ladies that were talking to me, this was years ago, and I turned to this one lady and I said, are you her mother? She said, no, I'm her sister, and I will hate you for the rest of my life. (laughs) And here's the classic, isn't it? Guys, never do this. When's the baby due? (laughs) I don't care if she looks like she's got quadruplets in there. Make no assumption. Calvin Coolidge said, I have never been hurt by anything I did not say. Mark Twain said, a closed mouth gathers no foot. <laughs> and be quick to listen. There's a, there's a famine of listening these days. And being willing to admit that we might be wrong. Here is a revelation. The universe will not explode if we admit that we might be wrong. And the people who Isn't it embarrassing when you get, or not embarrassing, irritating when you get around someone and all they want to do is talk about themselves. And you share something and they they say, well, let me tell you about the time that happened to me. It's ten times worse than your experience. And then they say, enough of me talking about me. What do you think about me? (laughs) There's a lot of anger and shouting. And I believe, my brothers and sisters, that we could model something different in our community. Sometimes, this is not in my notes, and I might regret saying this, particularly on a sermon about speech. Sometimes I'm ashamed of the way we Christians have acted during this last 18 months. Some of us. Whatever side of the politics and the view of what should be happening, We should be able to debate and disagree agreeably. What's going on? There's a lot of anger and shouting. 
Secondly, in James, there's a lot of talk about talk. It's a repetitive theme in James's letter. It's everywhere. And I never noticed that until I began studying for this message. In chapter 1, slow to speak. In chapter 3, as we're going to see, tame the tongue. In chapter 4, why do you fight and argue among yourselves? Later on in chapter 4, my brothers and sisters, don't speak against one another. In chapter 5, let your yes be yes, your no be no. James seems obsessed with talking about talk. And I believe that's because he is showing us that true character maturity wisdom is demonstrated by the way that we talk. Abraham Lincoln said, it is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. So why so much talk about talk? Well, that's the third thing. You see, the tongue has power to direct. James talks about horses and ships, the tongue controlled. Let's read from chapter 3. He says, my brothers and sisters, most of you shouldn't want to be teachers. You know that those of us who teach will be held more accountable. All of us get tripped up in many ways. Suppose someone is never wrong in what he says, then he is a perfect man. He is able to keep his whole body under control. We put a bit in the mouth of a horse to make it obey us. We can control the whole animal with it. And how about ships? They are very big. They are driven along by strong winds, but they are steered by a very small rudder. It makes them go where the captain wants to go. Now, James is piling up the metaphors and the word pictures here. What he's saying is, our words will affect the direction of our lives. They will not create destiny in some weird way, but to, to use a simple example, if we are speaking spitefully in a marriage, that will create an outcome in that marriage. And James is showing us how big things are affected by small things. And so, horses and bits. I, I, I've tried to ride horses since coming to Colorado, and I, I think horses are a wonderful animal, but I prefer not. They don't have a steering wheel or a, a brake. And when I ride a horse, I end up gripping its ears so tight, its eyes are bloodshot. It's not a a pretty sight. But James is saying you can put a five-pound bit in the mouth of a horse and control a 1,500-pound animal. And then he switches the metaphor and he says a ship. And by the way, in New Testament times, they had some pretty big ships. In Acts chapter 27, there's a ship that can carry 276 people. What James is doing here is he's choosing big objects like a horse or a ship and he's saying they are controlled by small things like a bit and a rudder. See, words change everything. Wars start. Marriages fragment. Churches fracture. Elon Musk makes a comment about the economy and the market drops. He says something positive about the economy and cryptocurrencies in particular and the market climbs. Words affect things. We can affect people positively with words of encouragement. We can 
changed the world with words. Martin Luther, the great reformer who said, here I stand, I can do no other. Martin Luther King, I have a dream. These were words that created an outcome. But then negatively, the thoughtless comment that bruises, the ridiculous statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Such a ridiculous statement. Who came up with that one? Politically, it's been said that Hitler's Mein Kampf, his book, for every word that was written in that book, 125 lives were lost in World War II. The words spoken in anger, spoken in a second, regretted for years. The gossip that we spread, and I'm, I'm looking around at you, and I, I know, I understand. There's, there's no one here who would ever, ever gossip. I understand that. We don't gossip. We share. There's a Spanish saying that says, the person who gossips with you will surely gossip about you. The boastful bragging that's so unattractive. And James addresses teachers, and those are challenging words for people like me, because when you get to stand here, please God, there is a level of influence, so we need to be even more diligent. But James is saying no for all of us, he says, the tongue is the last thing to be tamed. He's saying to us, true maturity is demonstrated by the level of control that we have over our words. I want to slow down for a moment and say, Holy Spirit, would you show us where we are creating a pathway that leads to wounding and destruction and fragmentation. Would you show us where we're doing that, that we might change direction? And then fourthly, the tongue has power to destroy. James talks about wildfires and wild beasts and poison, the tongue corralled. He says, again in chapter 3, verse 5, in the same way the tongue is a small part of the body, but it brags a lot. Think about how a small spark can set a big forest on fire. The tongue also is a fire. The tongue is the most evil part of the body. It pollutes the whole person. It sets a, whole, a person's whole way of life on fire. And the tongue is set on fire by hell. People have controlled all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea. They still control them. But no one can control the tongue. It's an evil thing that never rests. It's full of deadly poison. I learned about this a few days ago. Uh, we, last Saturday, eight days ago, we had um, some landscapers working at our house. And I'm um, sitting in my study working on a sermon about being joyful in trials and difficulties and getting wisdom in the midst of trials. I preached that last weekend at our Windsor campus when suddenly I heard someone shout, we've got a fire. So I ran out of the house and Kay ran too. And we went round the back of the house. I expected to see a bit of a grass fire or something. One of the lawn mowers, the ride-on lawn mowers had overheated, set fire to the lawn mower, set fire to the grass, set fire to the trees. 
within seconds, a hundred yards across the front of our house, two hundred yards that way, was on fire. We called 911. We had five fire trucks with us for three hours. The fire went round the side of the house, set fire to the deck, windows exploding. I mean, I don't know whether God's got a sense of humor. I, I was down to preach on this months ago. I really don't believe the Lord said, I'm going to give you a great illustration. <laughs> and uh, we ran back into the house. Kay grabbed passports. I grabbed laptops, computers. We ran out of the house. The fire trucks arrived. Thank God for our first responders. Would you say an amen to that? Thank God for them. They arrived. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They arrived in eight minutes. It felt like four hours. And uh, the house, I said to Kay that the house is gone because it was on fire. And the window's going out. And, and they managed to control it. The house did not burn down. We've got extensive damage. But I, uh, I saw the power of a wildfire, and some of you have seen that too. And James is saying the tongue is like a fire. It's a world of evil. Proverbs 16, a scoundrel plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. And, and James says it never rests. I, I was amazed by the hunger of the flames. And James says it never rests. It always wants to say something. And the tongue escapes the cage. This is a cage. <laughs> the medieval scholar Estius said, though nature has hedged the tongue in with the double barrier of the lips and teeth, it bursts from its barriers to assail and ruin men. Surely you've had that experience. You, you were just sitting there with some friends and suddenly you open your lips. And James says, no man can tame the tongue. Well, that's discouraging. If that's true, why are you talking about this? But a better translation, according to Augustine, one of the early church fathers, is that no one man alone can tame the tongue. In other words, what James, we think, is saying here is we need God's help. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit daily. We need to be walking with Jesus. This is, this is not just about self-control. This is about the fruit of the Spirit working out in our lives. When I was preparing for this weekend, I, I, I might have this wrong, but I felt like God whispered to me that there would be someone here this weekend, and on your way to church, you said, maybe to your partner, this is how I am. I'm not going to change it's just the way it is. You said something like that. If that's you, I'd like you to come and find me after the service. I'd love to pray with you. Let's ask God to fill us with his spirit daily. Well, the last thing is this, and that is that the tongue has power to bless. To bless. James talks about springs and figs and grapes, the tongue cleansed. Let's look at this. He says, with our tongues... 
we praise our Lord and Father. With our tongues, we call down curses on people. We do it even though they've been created to be like God. Praise and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be that way. Can fresh water and salt water flow out of the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? Of course not. And a salt water spring can't produce fresh water either. Have you noticed, by the way, with me, how, how many times James says, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters. He keeps using that language. When I, when I first became a Christian, people called me brother. And, and sometimes because I'm a pastor, they, they call me brother Lucas. And I don't really like it. Sounds a bit odd, although the brother-sister thing is quite handy if you've forgotten someone's name. You can just say, hey, brother, how you doing? But I notice that James keeps on over and over again using this family language. Is, it, is he doing that because he's wanting to remind us to live in accordance with our identity? Live like family. Remember the Sister Sledge song? We are family. I got all my sisters and me. Some of you are going, is that in the Bible? No, no, no. <laughs> By the way, Sister Sledge, the band, broke up with a lot of acrimony. It was a great aspiration, but the sisters didn't really live like sisters. And James says, brothers and sisters. And then he, this language about fresh water and salt water flowing out from the same spring. He's probably thinking about the Jordan Valley in the land of Israel where you'd see a spring coming down from the east side. And people would go to it hoping for water, but sometimes the spring would be contaminated with minerals and sometimes it would be fresh water. But James is saying you're never going to get both out of the same spring. He's saying live like brothers and sisters with with hearts changed. And then he's calling us to respect as well. He says we curse people who've been created to be like God. What's that about? Well, in James's day, if you cursed a statue of the king, you cursed the king. So James is saying, don't you realize that when you're talking mean to that person, you're talking to someone who's been created in the image of God. They are his creation. So show some respect. And then he calls us to consistency as well. He says, praise and cursing come out of the same mouth. Commentators think that James is probably referring to what can happen with Christians when they gather for worship. We're pretty nice in here. How you doing, um, brother? Great to see you. Bless you. And then we go out there. And someone with a fish on the back of their car jumps in front of us as we're trying to get out of here. And five minutes earlier, we were like, thank you, Jesus. God is good. And we're out there like, Bleh! James is saying, don't do that. Don't play at church. 
He's calling us to consistency. Well, I don't know about you, as I end this message, I am deeply challenged. Because I love words. I love words. I love preaching. I love writing. And I'm also aware that therefore I can be quick with words. My wife Kay, who is not here this morning, so I'll say this. She is the kindest person I've ever met. That's not romantic slush, it really is true. She is so kind, so gracious. And I've realized over the years, and genuinely it doesn't happen much, I can put together a sentence that will cut. And I don't ever want to be like that. Who can tame the tongue? But the Holy Spirit can help us. What about those emails? Sometimes the way we speak is reflected in the email communication that we have. And I've seen some interesting ones during this pandemic. So we're going to pray. And we're going to ask the Lord to show us where there are contexts in our lives where we need his help in the way that we speak. And then we're going to make a declaration, a piece of liturgy we're going to share together before we affirm once more the goodness of God. So let's pray together. Lord, we need your help. And as we hear James's words, strong words, we want to be people who bless and not curse. We want to be people who build up and not break down. We want to be those who can interact and dialogue respectfully without harshness and rage. So would you show us even now where there are areas of our lives where our words are damaging. We wait before you. So we bring ourselves to you, not with despair, but with hopeful expectation. Fill us with your spirit again, we pray. Each day, may it be that we will be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Can I invite you to look up, please? And let's stand together, if you're able. Let's stand. And 
we're going to share some words that come from various parts of Scripture. They're going to appear on the screen now. And just scan your eyes over those words because in a moment we're going to declare them together. Right, would you join me? Let's make this declaration together. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. My tongue will speak of your righteousness and of your praises all day long. Amen. Can I invite us now to use the tongue to declare the goodness of God? And by the way, I'm noticing, and it's really great, I'm noticing that some of you are pulling out your phones and taking a photograph of that screen. Would you feel free to grab your phone if you want to use this this week? And... Um, We'll probably put it on the website as well. But if you want to do that, go ahead. And then can I invite us, perhaps with hands raised, we have got two or three minutes before we go out into another busy week to declare the goodness of God. So let's not just sing. Let's, as we were earlier, let's worship and praise Him because God is good. Let's declare it together. <laughs> 